it doesn't take long to discover that marriage requires some effort. I mean, the two of you both come into it with expectations, and lots of those expectations, they're really not on the conscious level until they're not met. And then they break the surface, kind of like breaching whales, and they make a giant big old splash. You know, I think we all are surprised at the sheer number of things that we didn't know about our partner when we got married. And even more surprised at how resistant we both are, us and our spouse, to adapting to someone else's expectations, even this person that we love so much. If you've encountered a hard-to-talk-about problem, something that comes up over and over, I've created a special guide for you to help you have that hard talk with your man. I'll tell you how you can get it after the episode. Now, today is the first of three short, but I trust helpful episodes on marriage. And we'll begin with the basics of how to make your marriage work for both of you. Listen in. God made Adam and Eve, and he gave them to one another in marriage. And they lived in a beautiful garden called Eden with everything they could ever need for happiness and blessing. But you know, what you and I don't know is just how many days they managed to live there before they both gave in to temptation. And you know the story. Eve, because she allowed the serpent to beguile her, and Adam, because even though he knew he was sinning, he chose to do it anyway, they both gave in to temptation. Now, those are the facts as Scripture records them. And, you know, I've scribbled in my Bible this little phrase, unintended consequences, right there on the page next to the part of the story that describes Adam and Eve's fall from grace. And the first most devastating consequences for all of us, for all of mankind, was that loss of a comfortable yet intimate friendship with God. But a close second was the new normal of selfishness in human relationships. Because if we were all selfless, marriage would be easy. It's selfishness that gets in the way. But you know what? It doesn't have to. We can grow. We can become, you and I who are believers, we can become more like our Savior and our friend Jesus. And we can learn to make our marriage work for both our spouse and ourselves. So let me share a few statistics that I I think these are going to blow your mind. <laughs> it's really just one statistic, but it lays the foundation for everything else that I'm going to share with you in this brief episode today. And it comes from the research of Dr. John Gottman, who is a renowned researcher in marital stability and relationships. And in the show notes, I'll add a link to his presentation called Making Marriage Work. That's where I got the title of this episode. And uh, you can watch it on YouTube. It's 47 minutes long, and it's absolutely worth the investment of your time. So you'll find Dr. John Gottman, Making Marriage Work on YouTube, and I'll link to that in the show notes. But in that presentation, he shares this statistic. 
69% of marital problems and conflicts never get resolved. Oh my word. Does that shock you? That totally shocked me. 69% of marital problems and conflicts never get resolved. As I kind of let that roll around a little in my brain, I began thinking, well, then why doesn't everyone get divorced? I mean, that's way over 50%. It's almost three quarters of all marital problems and conflicts don't get resolved. Well, really, in listening, I realized the reason that not everyone gets a divorce is, as Dr. Gottman and his colleagues observed, some couples become masters at making marriage work, while other couples are disasters at it. (laughs) So some people learn to lean into the friendship that's the basis of their marriage. They're kind. They show appreciation and respect to one another. They continue to discover more about each other and to deepen their connection by having lots and lots of healthy conversation and investing a lot of attention in one another. Now, earlier I mentioned that statistic of 69% of conflicts that never get resolved. Dr. Gottman made this observation. When you pick someone to marry, you are automatically picking a set of unresolvable conflicts. Now, that is not the most romantic thought, but if you've been married very long, you know it's true. These are the things about your spouse that are rooted deeply in their personality and their upbringing. Many of these things are hardwired into the way they think and communicate, into what has become their preferences and their tastes, their values and their ideals, their habits and their ways of doing things. And this stuff is hard to change even in ourselves. When we want to, when we're highly motivated, this stuff is hard for us to change about ourselves. So stop and think a minute. How much harder is it to change in someone else who's really very often offended at our criticism and our judgment of them and the continual insistence that they be the one to change? So now you can see why 69% is not such an unbelievable number. It's because of the way we all come to marriage, we bring with it our own set of unresolvable relationship conflicts. I mean, there's potential for a whole lot of conflict. So as Christians, though, did you know that Christian marriages end at the very same rate as non-Christian marriages? 53% of Christian marriages end in divorce. It's the same number for those who report not having a religious affiliation. So that's another thing that should shock us. But the truth is, as believers, as followers of Christ, Shouldn't you and I be equipped to make marriage work for both of us, both ourselves and our spouse? I mean, think about it this way. We each have a personal relationship with the maker of marriage. God is the one who designed marriage. He thought up the idea. He instituted it. He established the parameters. 
So you and I have a personal relationship with the maker of marriage. And then we're indwelt by God's Holy Spirit. We have divine truth that teaches us the biblical principles that are given to us to guide us in marriage. But you know, here's the problem. It is not enough just to know the truth. We have to live it. If we don't put the truth into practice in our day-to-day life, then it really does us absolutely no good. Knowing it is not what will transform us. It's the doing of it. So I told you this is going to be a short episode. I am going to share with you just four scriptures. And these are the scriptures that if you apply these, you can make a marriage that works for you and your spouse both. And again, I'm going to go back to the fact that this is simple to understand. It's crystal clear in scripture. But you are going to need the indwelling Holy Spirit to help you implement this. So the first, Matthew seven twelve, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Now, you and I know that as the golden rule, do unto others as you wish they would do to you. It is simple. It is clear. So let's let it shine the light on our words our actions, and our attitudes, because our attitudes are what will become our words and our actions. Let's let that principle, that golden rule of what you want others to do to you, that's what you should do with them. Is You need to start asking yourself questions like this. Is this how I want to be spoken to? That's how you determine how to speak to your spouse. Is this how I want to be treated? That's how you determine how you're going to treat your spouse. Is this how I want to be thought about? That's how you determine and make a decision about the thoughts you're allowing yourself to think about your spouse. And again, we said those thoughts, those are what will translate into words and actions out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth will speak. So, We need to develop the habit of checking ourselves. You know, we we don't want to become careless with the one that we want to care about us because we will reap what we sow. So let's sow the things that we would like back from our spouse. And we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about that. Because I want you to remember and keep in the forefront of your mind, we're talking about whether or not we are masters or disasters at resolving these conflicts or dealing with them, handling these in our marriage. So now let's go on to Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Again, familiar passages. But when you bring this truth to bear, a single truth, sometimes separating it out from the chapter it's in, the book it's in, or a big, long, you know, Sunday sermon. And you just take this one verse and say, How, what does this truth look like in my marriage day by day? That's where the power comes. So here's Philippians 2, 3 to 4. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. 
Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Now, that's the NIV version. I want to have you listen to it, though, in the New Living Translation. It's close, but it's a little bit more in the way that we speak every day. It says, don't be selfish. I mean, that's pretty clear, right? Don't try to impress others or that idea of vain conceit of thinking about yourself. And that can be true in, yes, us trying to impress others. But it can also be true in the sense of us elevating ourselves and making ourself and what we want more important than our partner. So don't be selfish. Don't have that vain conceit. But be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. So again, this idea that, you know, it's not all about me. The whole thing doesn't revolve around me. There are two of us in this marriage. So Let our actions flow from what's in our heart and let what's in our heart be planted there by those good thoughts that we think about our spouse. So here in Philippians, we're commanded. And I want you to remember, as one pastor used to say, these are not suggestions. These are commands. It's a command that we think about others, that we esteem them really more important than ourselves, that we humble ourselves and elevate others. And isn't that really the way God always does things in in what I think it's Anne Boskamp who refers to this as the upside down kingdom of God, where, uh, you know, in the world, you're the most important. In the kingdom of God, others are more important. And so we humble ourselves and elevate the other. We are told to focus on the interests of others and not just our own. I mean, we automatically focus on what we're interested in, what's important to us. But this passage in Philippians is telling us, it's commanding us to put some of our focus on the interests of others and bring that into the equation. And, you know, we kind of bristle at this a little bit. We, frankly, we don't want to do that. Our self, our old fallen nature does not want to live that way. It wants to be on the throne and have everyone and everything revolve around us. But that is just not how Jesus lived when he walked among us. He came to serve and to give of himself to others. And the truth is that he's calling us to curb our selfish thoughts and focus on others, and in a marriage to focus also on our spouse and not make ourselves and our preference and so forth the center of everything. Okay, the next passage is Ephesians 4.32, and it says, Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. You know, kindness and a tender heart, wow, one that's easily moved to tenderness and forgiveness. That's what a tender heart is. Those are the most powerful weapons in this quest to overcome that 69% of marital conflicts that never get resolved. I want to say that again. Kindness and a tender heart 
and really forgiveness in its most basic forms, those are the most powerful weapons you and I have in the quest to overcome our marital conflicts. These don't resolve the conflicts. They disarm them. We have to remember that. They're not resolving these issues. These are differences among us and a spouse that may, they may be there for 50, 60, 70 years. I mean, way past your golden anniversary, you may, you two still may differ. Um, let's take a common thing of whether or not you're punctual, okay? Some people are and some people aren't. And yes, we could learn to be that way, but the truth is often a disagreement like that that always makes you, you know, running on the edge of late to church or late to a meeting or late to the school function or the soccer game or the whatever you're going to. So you can see how often one simple personality difference in a couple can come up over and over and over and over again over all the years. How are you going to resolve that? Well, yes, hopefully the person that's always late would learn to be more punctual. But if they don't, kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness are able to disarm that conflict. They're able to overcome it. Those things, kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness, rob conflict of its power to fracture a marriage. They protect the bond from breaking. So sometimes we forget what those simple words mean. Kindness is the quality of being friendly and generous and considerate. Tenderhearted is having a kind, gentle, or sentimental or kind of tender nature. Forgiveness is to stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone for an offense or a flaw or a mistake. It's that simple. I mean, we all know what those words mean when they're coming toward us, when, when kindness is shown toward us, when someone's tenderhearted towards us, when someone forgives us. We know what it means. All we need to do is turn that around and offer that in love to our spouse. And then the last passage is 1 Peter 4, 8. And it says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Love breeds tolerance. It offers kindness and it easily forgives. And in love, we cover that 69% of conflicts that would otherwise tear down and destroy a marriage. Now, as I said, Dr. Gottman describes the two types of couples as the masters and the disasters. And masters can navigate the conflict and disasters can't. As believers, we have what we need to be masters to make our marriages work for both of us, us and our partner, and then to make them successful over a lifetime. Heavenly Father, thank you for marriage and for all the goodness and blessing you designed to give to us through marriage. Father, I pray, teach us how to do it well, how to be godly in the way we treat one another. And I pray, Father, you let every conflict immediately turn our eyes to Jesus 
the author and perfecter of our faith, and help us to love as He loves, and then to bring glory to You in our marriages. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I want to thank you again for listening in. And hey, if you haven't yet left a review, would you please just add a quick sentence or two about what you've enjoyed on the podcast? I would so appreciate it. This past week, we hit 500 downloads. That's a milestone for us. So I wanted to just share that with you. And thank you because you guys are, that's where that came from. You know, I'm on Instagram at Kelly J. Grace. And as I said, the show notes, those are found at the website at kellyjgrace.com. Do you have a certain area of conflict that just keeps coming up, causing hurt and frustration and actually damaging your marriage? Well, I've faced that. And I decided to take action instead of just continuing to ignore the problem. So if you've got a similar challenge, I want to offer you both some hope and some guidance so you can learn how to have that hard talk with your man. I've created a new detailed guide to lead you through the process and set you up for success. You can find a link to purchase it at kellyjgrace.com forward slash talk and you can use the code welcome all in caps at checkout for a 40% off discount until January 25th and next time we have two more in this series on marriage two more episodes next time we're talking about making marriage fun you're going to want to listen in and I'll see you then <laughs>